for a little while, we're going to do kind of what we did last year. Last year, when we wrapped up Acts, we said, is there anything that we feel like we need to, to really talk about? Kind of in between expositional preaching, kind of being focused on, let's just go through this book. Is there anything kind of topical that we feel like we need to address? Um, so we're going to do the same thing this time. What, what I had planned on talking about for four weeks, I thought... I thought we needed to have as many people here as possible. Not that I wouldn't love that all the time, but I knew that a lot of people were going to be out uh, until you know, everybody came back from the holidays and school started back and everybody got back into their routines. So I said, okay, well, what can we do uh, for a little while? And, and I kind of just, I was looking at the schedule where we've been going through the Minor Prophets and we're coming up on Haggai. And, and I, that's a book that I've been excited about for a little while, ever since I took one of my Old Testament classes. Uh, I kind of discovered that book, at least for myself, and, and thought that it was really cool. And I was thinking, it's a short book. We could do that for a little while before we get into the thing that we're going to talk about next. So we're going to be studying this, this little discussed book in the Old Testament. And, and I'll be calling it Haggai. Uh, if you prefer, you can call it Haggai. <laughs> That's the first thing to get settled. Um, because there, I, I looked at and tried to find, like, legit, here, how, here's how to pronounce this word. And I found both. So I was like, okay, well, it really, it, either it has to be both or it's one or the other. I feel like there's maybe a little bit more probability behind hag AI being the right uh, pronunciation. But I just prefer the, prefer the former. So I'm going to go with Haggai because I kind of I think it sounds like Haggai sounds like some sort of eye disease. Like, have you seen that guy's nasty eye? He's got that haggy eye. <laughs> Like, that's just me. I hope I didn't just ruin the sermon. Like, <laughs> you're going to just be thinking about that from now on. Um, so there, Haggai, Haggai has a couple of things working against it. Um, it's possible that, that none of you have heard a sermon based on Haggai. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon based on Haggai. I'm not like trying to win preacher points or anything. Like, I'm going to preach this book. Nobody else has done it. I'm legitimately excited about this book. Um, but it, it does, it's one that we, we probably haven't heard a sermon out of, and you might not even know the contents of the book, because, okay, well, it's an Old Testament book, so that's one mark against it in terms of popular understanding. Uh, it's also in the Minor Prophets, big one, that's another one, and then it's brief, it's two chapters long. So the odds that many people know about this book, pretty slim, um, which is kind of sad. For some reason, modern-day Christians think that... Um, well, in general, they think less of the Old Testament. I mean, that's kind of our perspective. Um, and the minor prophets in particular. Like Genesis, Exodus, everybody gets behind that. It's even, I guess you could say, popular now in a sense because you've got these movies coming out centered around things that happen in Genesis and Exodus. It's narrative. It's exciting. Big things happen. But after Exodus, really towards the end of Exodus, things start to get pretty slow. They slow down a lot in Exodus. Like, you've got all these amazing things, and then, law, and here's instructions on how to build a tent, and here, like, these sorts of things, and people start saying, okay, well, Old Testament, yeah, uh, and, and they kind of, they lose sight of a lot of this stuff, um, but I hope that that's not true here. I hope that we have maintained some sort of emphasis on the Old Testament, because if you're here on Sunday nights, we're reading through the Old Testament all the time. We just got through Hebrews, which required a lot of Old Testament knowledge, so we talked about the Old Testament a lot. I hope that that's not 
our perspective because I talked to some people out there who really are kind of down on the Old Testament. I even talked to somebody, um, really, I guess a few people more recently, who have been even in seminary classes and have said, man, I survived that Old Testament class. And you're like, what do you mean survived? Was it a hard class, hard professor? No, it's just the Old Testament. And it's like, really? I had the benefit of, of having a passionate Old Testament professor, and I really thank God for him and what he, he did. Um, he, he was actually, he, had a, he said, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder that I even have to tell you why it's important to, to study the Old Testament. Because is this not the word of God? Is, is this not something that God has said? Does it not demand our attention? Does, does God not have something to say here? And, and he, he felt like kind of church, popular culture, kind of just neglected the Old Testament. Yeah, I've even seen some commercials for churches that are like, we're a Christian church and we believe that, that our Bible is essentially Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament. And I'm like, what? There's a commercial for a church out there that wants to throw away the whole Old Testament except for Psalms and Proverbs. Maybe that, that all they had was like the little Gideon Bibles. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't get it, but this, this is important. And I think that this book in particular is pretty cool because there's a lot of modern-day parallels, and I don't think I'm just making that stuff up. I think that the situation that's occurring here has a lot of similarities with what we're going through, and particularly us being a new church. I think that it kind of fits here. So I want to talk about Haggai. And we're going to spend just a couple weeks on this. And hopefully you'll get a lot out of this. Hopefully you will be encouraged by this. Hopefully you'll be challenged by this, stirred up by this. And hopefully you'll get kind of a passion for, for what's going on here. Uh, that's, that's what I would like to see happen. And I'd like to see us respond the way they responded here. So before we really even get into Haggai, if you start reading it without a little bit of background information... It might not make a whole lot of sense. So we, we have to do a little historical overview. You have to know about the Jews coming out of exile. Like you need to know about that situation in order to understand Haggai. So let's just set it up a little bit. The Jews are a people, we call them God's people in, in the Bible, uh, who are descendants of Abraham. So they are all Abraham's people, right? God made a promise to this man, Abraham. He said, Abraham, though you are 75 years old and your wife has never had kids, I'm going to give you a child. And not only am I going to give you this one child, you're going to have a nation that is descended directly from you. 25 years later, he actually has this child. A lot of patience on his part. So he has this child and, and they continue to grow. God does miraculous things to these people, the Jews. He says, I'm going to give you a nation. And, and he says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place. And, and, and after about, I don't know, it took a while. Let's say after about a thousand years, they're actually settled in this place. You know, you could, you could probably go a little bit earlier than that because they were, you know, in the midst of conquest and a lot of things during that time. But about a thousand years after Abraham, they actually are settled. They get a capital city, Jerusalem, David's king. So they start to have this, this kingdom now. So now the, these things are coming true. Everything that God promised to Abraham, though it took a long time, 
It happened. They became a nation. David says, God, we've been traveling around with this tent, this tabernacle, which we, which we involve. And you've told us to involve this in our worship of you. We want to set up something permanent here in this land that you've given us. And he says, you can't do it, but your son can. So Solomon erects this temple. The temple is marvelous. It's, it's made of the finest materials by the finest hands. God gifted them to be able to make this thing. So now everything's kind of coming together, right? Thousand years later, they're coming together as a nation. Things are going well for them. They're, they're wealthy. Uh, they're well thought of by other nations. They're following God. They have the temple, the priests. Everything's clicking. Things are going well. And they, they start to lose sight of God, who brought them here the whole time. Remember, Abraham was nobody. Abraham was nobody. God took him and said, I'm going to make somebody out of you. And they forgot that God was who pulled them along and empowered them to do all this stuff. And it started, well, it was kind of present along the way the entire time. But Solomon really lost sight. And, and he started letting foreigners, foreign women, foreign idols, kind of take his attention away. And he, and he erects... Um, really tributes to these, to these other religions. And he turns around at the end of his life and said that was a mistake, but still the damage is kind of done. His kids are foolish uh, and, and the, 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 the kingdom gets divided shortly after this peak where David, Solomon, everything's good, everything's great. Then a couple of generations later, it's all a mess. And now we've got two kingdoms, and, and those two kingdoms struggle. They're hobbling along for a long time, like 200, 200 400 years. They're, they're struggling, and they, they lose sight of God for the most part, but for a few people, um, and, and God disciplines them. He says, you cannot, you cannot forget about me. You cannot go on whoring yourself out to all these other nations like you have done because I'm God. I brought you out of, out of everything. I, I established you. I made the world and you've forgotten about me and, and I will not have that. So he disciplines them and he sends them away into exile. Babylon comes and they destroy the temple. It's gone. The temple was like a necessary component of, them, of their identity. How they worshipped God wiped away. Their king is removed. And in Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah, let's see, 22, uh, 24 and 30, I think. God removes the king. Now, this is probably before the actual destruction of the temple, so I'm a little out of order here, but we're really just going for highlights. Okay, here's Jeremiah 22:24. As I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country, where, where you were not born, and there you shall die. So, 
not, not looking good. Um, verse 30, I'll skip forward a little bit. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. So it's serious. Um, God had made a promise to David saying, and, and Abraham and all these fathers saying, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of you, because of, because of what I'm going to do through your people. And then through David, he says, David, I'm going to establish your house, and somebody's going to sit on the throne of your kingdom forever. And all this is pointing to Jesus. But, but it gets interrupted here because of their, their idolatry. God says, I'm going to wipe you out. The temple's going to be gone the king is going to be gone. The people are going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. So he takes them to Babylon, and they're there for about 70 years or so. And it's a hard time. Um, and, and it's just in ruin. So they suffer there for a little while. Some pretty cool things happen. Daniel, the book of Daniel happens during that time. Um, after a while, they come back. Ezra 1, 1 through 4. We're not going to have to do too much turning, but a little bit. Watch as I struggle to find the right page. All right, I'm going to read Ezra 1, 1 through 4. So uh, Babylon eventually goes down, Medes and Persians take over. Jews are still without a home, without a place. And the king of Persia here is going to talk about it in Ezra 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So this is amazing. Like this guy who's... He didn't directly capture them, but he, he is lord over all these kingdoms. He's, he's king over the Jews who have been displaced and most of the world at the time. God actually works in his heart to send the Jews back. So this is an exciting time for the Jews, right? They, they're told, you can go back and you can build your temple. And not only that, we're going to resource you. We're going to send you gold, silver, beasts, and I'm encouraging everybody inside of the nation to give you things to get this done. It's amazing. So all these promises are coming true. I didn't really mention this. It's a lot of points to keep hold of. Um, but while they were in exile, or even before they were in exile, God said, and that's the promise that it's talking about right there at the beginning, the, prom the word of Jeremiah. God said, you're not going to be in exile forever. You're going to return. 
and, and good things will happen when you return. So they're anticipating this for a long time, and then it finally happens. So they are going back, and things are looking good, right? About 50,000 people go back. It's not all of them. They kind of go in phases. The first phase is about 50,000 people. And they're led under uh, Jerubbabel is the name of the governor. He's a Jew. He's going to be over this, this frontier, I guess, because this whole land has been laid waste. Like when you, when you read about the destruction that happened when the Babylonians came and destroyed their land, it was utter. It was bleak. So they come back to this land, which is just a wasteland. And, and they're saying, okay, we're going to rebuild this temple. So imagine the excitement. God's promises are being fulfilled. Good things are happening. Let's get to it. We've got all these resources. We've got 50,000 people. Let's build this temple. So exciting things are happening. So Ezra, jump forward to Ezra 4. Ezra kind of gives us a a little history before things that happened in Ezra's time actually happened, which is really helpful for us. So this is still before Ezra. Um, Ezra 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is the people who are in Judah at this time. They're going to rebuild the temple. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heart and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, let us build with you. Remember, they're adversaries. Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esharhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers, of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Sixteen years are what separate those two kings, approximately. So, sixteen years pass, and their plans are frustrated. So, imagine, all these exciting things happen. God moves upon this king to say, here you go, go out into, the, into what is now essentially a wilderness and reestablish the kingdom, reestablish the temple, take these things, go build it. They get there, they're, they're living off the land and the stuff that they've got and they're going to build this temple, they get together and then all the surrounding people who are still their enemies figure out that they're back and they're going to go and attack them. So 16 years, they, they, they settle into the mindset that, I guess this is it. We came out here, we tried, and we failed. And I guess this is it. So what else can we do? Let's, let's do what we can do, which is... We're going to go home, we're going to build our farms, we're going to build our houses, and we're going to just live here. That was their mindset. So, Haggai. It took a little while to get here. Haggai. If you don't know where Haggai is, it's page 1237. That's, that's a lousy attempt at a joke. Because it's probably not for you. 
<clears throat> Thank you, sympathy left. Okay, so Haggai. We're just going to read through, uh, let's see. Let's read through verse 11 here, and then we'll get to the rest of it a little later. So, in the second year of Darius, the king, we just talked about Darius, right? Their plans have been frustrated up until Darius. So, Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Let me pause for just one second. So, we'll get into this. Um, Haggai. He's been around for a while. I think that he, based on some of the stuff that I read, he has, he's older at this stage. I'm not exactly sure what his age is, but he's seen things. He has, uh, he came back with them from Babylon. He was in Babylon with them for a long time. And some people think that maybe he was even old enough to have seen the old temple. So he's, he's been around a while. So, he is, he is a Jew among the Jews. He's been with them for a long time. And now God has stirred him up to say something. So, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild. Sorry, come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So, they're in an interesting situation because, again, God had promised good things for when they return. But they didn't happen. At least not the way they thought they would. They encountered this adversity. And they, they got this mindset, okay, well, we're just going to go to our own houses. And they stopped building the house. After God moved the king of Persia to tell them to build this house, they said, what are we supposed to do? Because it's, it's hard. And, and uh, it looks like God's not with us anymore. This must be it. And Haggai comes in here and says, the job is is not yet finished. He's been sitting around for 16 years, traveling with, he traveled with these people, he, he watched them try and fail, and, and nothing's getting done. So now he's trying to stir them up. Notice he keeps saying, the Lord of hosts. They're being opposed by all these armies, or maybe not armies, but all these peoples who are surrounding them. And the title that he keeps attributing to himself, God, is the Lord of hosts. That's like 
the God of armies, the God of, of angels, the heavenly hosts, the, the, the God who commands all is telling you to do this. So that title in and of itself is saying, listen, these people who are around you are nothing. I'm in charge of all of this, all of these people. I'm in charge of the heavenly hosts who will not be vanquished. So you who go and busy himself with his own house, turn your eyes towards this house and let's get this finished. I think that this is very, very interesting. I think that this is very, very interesting for us. I find a lot of parallels between modern times and Haggai, the time that they were living in, and, and even more so maybe even here. I feel like with us, the Messiah came. Like we, have, we have a lot more info than they did. The Messiah, Jesus came. And all these awesome, amazing things have been promised. Amazing things have been promised. Because the Messiah has come, and now all the kingdom of God is coming, right? 2,000 years later, we sit here, and a lot of people are saying, what are we doing? What are we doing here? And, and I think the church, particularly in our culture, has become much more concerned with just making it good for themselves, than, than working on God's house. And I feel like this applies to all of us. Like we're, we're much more concerned most often with, with, with working on our stuff, with making sure that we've got it all figured out for us than for, than for being a part of the church and for seeing this as something that needs to be built. We're going to talk about this more next week, but the Great Commission, we have something similar to what they had. He, during this time, we have been given an order, just like they were given an order. They, they were told, okay, go here and build this temple. Things got hard. We were told, go here and build this church, and things got hard. And, and for a lot of us, we've just kind of neglected it because we said it got hard. And, and so we felt like it just wasn't working out. God was not working. So, so we stopped working. And for this church, we came here. Very similar circumstances. Move out into the wilderness. Okay? Go out with nothing and try to build something. Because we've, I've laid it on the hearts of several of you to go and do this. So we come out here and, and we, give it a, we give it a shot. And we're imperfect and we messed up plenty of times. But at the same time, things happened. Namely, we lost a lot of people. We lost a lot of fire because a, a significant amount of our core group got pulled away. And I've, we've talked about this for, before for some of the best reasons possible. Like some people went to be missionaries. Some people had to get a different job but really went away with a missionary mindset. We lost a lot of good people, and, and it felt like we've been stumbling ever since. And it's been about six months or so that this has been the men, kind of the mentality, I feel like. We've been talking about um, a little bit as elders, just, okay, well, we had these plans. We had plans. We wanted to see growth. We wanted to see church growth, which is what we feel like 
we were called out here to do, to, to reach these people. And, and yeah, we've, we've seen really cool things, but it's been small, like a couple of baptisms, a couple of homeless guys have come in and said, we want to be members of the church. That's been awesome. But, but we had goals that, that didn't happen. We wanted to see more community groups and more members and all these things. And we set actually numerical goals. We want to see this specific things happen. And that just did not happen. And it it got hard. And now we're kind of looking around staring at each other. Saying, what's next? And I feel like this is perfect for us. Right here at the beginning of this new year. What are, we, what are we focused on? Like, it's kind of arbitrary to say, okay, New Year, all that sort of thing. But this can be a moment where we can say, what is this, this going to look like? I feel like we're in a similar circumstance where we're here to build something. And, and the temptation for us is to go and to work on us rather than to work on this. And... And to interpret the hardships as though God is not present in this church anymore. That's the temptation. So everybody sits back and they relax. And they let it sit. I don't want that to be us. And it's not just me saying that. This is not... You know, me, Dale, and Tanner trying to push you guys to build something for us. We feel like we are out here with intent, with purpose. We've seen, like I said, we've seen homeless guys come in off the street say, this this church, thank you for this church. This is the only place that I feel like is for people like me. That is really, really encouraging. To hear somebody say that. I feel like we've been waiting on that to happen. He even came in last night while we were having his band practice and just kind of hung out. Um, unfortunately, he's not here this morning. Um, but, uh, but we're seeing like little, little glints of hope. And, and small baby steps of growth. Little things. That you don't notice if you're if you're here all the time, and and I feel like our motivation needs to be stoked, and we need to live <coughs> with this kind of fire inside. How did they respond? Verse twelve. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as, their, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month. 
in the second year of Darius the king. So they responded. The, the thing that you need to note, a couple, couple of things that I want to really focus in on with this, is that first of all, the spirit of the Lord was with them. It, it, makes, it goes out of its way to say that the Lord stirred up their spirit, the spirit of their leaders, the spirit of the people, to do the work. And he said earlier, I am with you. Okay, so for us, one of the last things that Jesus says, Matthew 28, and I mean, a lot of us know this by heart at this point, Matthew 28, Great Commission. <clears throat> when Jesus came and said to them, Matthew 28, 18, sorry. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that sound like? That sounds like God in Haggai saying, I am the Lord of hosts. I am the God of everything. All of these angels, all of creation. I am in charge. So here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You're not building the temple in a physical sense. You're building the church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that's our commission. What's the last thing to say? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Like he's saying in Haggai, I am with you. Work on this. I feel like this is amazing. The, I, the, the parallels, I think, are really cool between these two things. So for us, what I hope Haggai, what I hope God is saying to us is keep going. Keep going. It got hard. Things did not work out the way you thought they were going to. But I am with you. This thing that you are being told to do is not, it's not a failure. It's just not going the way you expected it to. Keep working. I am with you. So what I want to do, what I want us to do is, I want us to repent if we need to. I want us to pray. I want us to pray specifically that, that the Holy Spirit would do the same thing for us that he did for them. That, that we would be filled with the Spirit. Both the leaders, you can pray for us specifically, and you, the, our church. Well, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would stir us up to finish this. Whatever finish this ends up looking like for us. And, and let's use this response time to do that. Let's, let's pray about this for a little bit before we sing. And, and let's remember who we are here at the beginning of 2015 when we're sitting around looking at ourselves wondering what in the world are we doing. Let's let this speak to us and let's let it remind us that it's not for us to go back to our houses and, and be preoccupied with our own lives there's still something to do here and we need to commit to it and, and God is, is with us if we are obedient to him so let's pray that 
he would grant us obedience, that the Spirit would move in us. So take a minute. Let's all just pray. And I'll close us out, and then we'll sing some more and, and pray about this. And we'll finish out Haggai next week. All right? Let's pray.